Hey folks, thanks for joining me on Ultra Habits. I'm your host, RJ Singh. My show is dedicated to all things executive. Here, we understand the unique challenges of executive life and the things that will no doubt come up in your business and personal life that have the potential to impact you negatively. On this show, we interview the world's top minds from the fields of business, medical, military, sports, the sciences, academia, and much, much more. Our goal is to leave you after every episode with more knowledge, wisdom, and awareness that ultimately help you improve your habits and move you and keep you at peak performance. Enjoy. And again, folks, thanks for joining me. Would you like to develop the habit of reading? It seems that the act of reading a book is a dying practice for the mainstream. With the development of video, podcasts, and short-form content, we are all about convenience and speed of consumption. But what do we lose when we start to close the books? What's the true cost of losing our interest in actually reading a book? If you want to learn more, you're going to want to check out this next episode with Nicholas Hutchinson. We dive into the benefits of reading, some obvious and some not. But more importantly, we discuss the actions you can take to develop better reading habits. Nicholas, welcome to Ultra Habits, man. How are you going? RJ, I'm excited to be here. There's nothing that brings me more joy than getting to share what I've learned reading hundreds of these personal development style books and getting the most out of them. So yeah, excited to see what we jump into today. Should I call you Nicholas or Nick? I I call you Nicholas. It sounds like maybe I'm your, like a, like a teacher or a parent. What do you prefer, (laughs) man? Well, for the longest time, I went by Nicholas, but then because so many people would ask me about it, I tried going by Nick for a little while and less people would ask about it. So now I just say Nick. Yeah, yeah. I I like using people's full names because it kind of makes it seem serious. Like people revert to their childhood and they like listen, like they prick up, right? It's like, oh God, it must be serious. The person's calling me my full name. So, so, uh, but look, it's, it's good to have you on, on the show, uh, Nick and, uh, it's an interesting topic, right? Like reading, particularly for someone that's in the digital space, right? Like as I have a view that the rise of digital has a negative correlation with reading, and that's an assumption that I'm making, and we'll, we'll jump in, into that. But quickly before we do, like how did you develop your love of reading? Like was this something that you always had or something that you found later on? It was something that I found later on. So growing up, I was more of the athlete stereotype throughout high school and college, not really the academic. But going into my senior year of college, I took an internship at a local software company. And my boss at the time recognized that I had about an hour commute each way to this internship every day. And so he recommended podcasting. He said, hey, you should check out these business podcasts because listening to the same songs, right, the same music, for the 1,000th time, it's not going to get you closer to where you want to be in life, but the right personal development podcast might. And so that's where I started. I started with podcasting and so many of the people being interviewed on these shows, they were giving at least some credit for their success to the books that they were reading. And so I just kind of had this realization that if I wanted to live up to my potential and to be successful, and at the time I really only thought about financial success, but be financially successful that I had to start reading these books. And so that's what I started with. Like, do you find reading books in terms of the physical act of it versus like an audio book? Do you think it's the same or different? 
oh, I think it's much better to read a physical paper book. And here's why. 80% of the inputs to our brain are visual. So all of the other senses only make up 20%. So by default, uh, you can't form as strong of a neural connection to something that you're just listening to compared to reading. And uh, personally, I find, like, I consume a lot of audiobooks now just because of time effectiveness. But, like, when I'm driving and stuff, like, it's very difficult to retain information and to critically think, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And just like you, I still consume a ton of audiobooks because I really think an audiobook is better than music or better than silence most of the time. But given the choice between physical paper books and audio, I know for a fact I can get more out of a physical paper book. Do you, it's interesting comment you made about silence. Like I was thinking about this yesterday. Uh, I I turn off the music a lot of the times uh, just to think and also to like not be constantly distracted, right? Like I think on long drives, like sometimes I'll listen to music because I just want to fade away into like nothingness because the kids have got me exhausted. But the other day I had this kind of thought that like, let's just sit in, in quiet and and I do notice that I do this often with audiobooks in the car like I'll listen to the audiobook for 20 30 minutes and then I'll turn it off and just sit in silence and it actually helps me reflect on the information and to 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 think about well how does that apply because I think one of the things about this constant stream of information that we're living in for people like you and I too that like love information the question is how do we like convert that into knowledge or else it's just more information and i guess my question to you is do you find that there's a there's a point that too much information is too much and and how do we then take that whether it be like reflecting in silence like how do we convert that information into to knowledge and wisdom that's a great question uh do you have an hour <laughs> because i could probably talk about this for an hour Number one, I do recognize the importance of silence and reflection. I have a format that I teach in my book called the rule of 25%. I say we should spend 25% of our time with mentors. Those are people who have done what you want to do and they've helped other people get there as well. That could include physical in-person type mentors or virtual mentors, but also the books that you're reading. I think we should spend 25% of our time with our peers, people who are fighting the same fight, right? The average of the five people that we spend the most time with, like those are the people that we think of. And you're trying to elevate and grow with them. I think we should spend 25% of our time mentoring other people, refreshing the fundamentals, teaching what we've learned, because that will help us simplify the messages that we have learned in these books and kind of like ingrain them as part of our own teaching. And then the last pillar is 25% of our time by ourselves. And that's meditation, mindfulness, exercise, going for a walk, driving in silence, reflecting on what we're consuming. Because you're right, we do live in this information overload uh, type of society right now, and it's nice to slow things down and process. We need to process. Just like we need to fast every once in a while after eating food so that we can process and remove inflammation, clean ourselves out. I think silence does the same thing. So the second part of your question was about how do we turn information into action? Like how do we turn information into knowledge, something that can be used and that we can actually implement in our lives? And I have so many strategies for doing that. I think that without taking action, without really reflecting on the information we consume, 
it's more of a form of entertainment than it is education and behavior change, right? It's closer to just like these podcasts and these books and these seminars. They're closer to entertainment because most of us aren't doing anything with them. And so it's good to slow down and reflect just like you're talking about. Yeah, I think one of the things about podcasts and and kind of this flow of information, particularly when it's not being implemented, it gives people a, a temporary sense that they're elevated. You know what I mean? It's like an ego hit, right? Because you kind of listen to this podcast and you feel inspired and you feel your narrative starts to align with this story that you're hearing. And then as soon as that podcast is over, it's like you've moved back into kind of this autopilot space and there's been no actual real implementation. So you've been temporarily elevated with no real result. Tell me, so we're, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about reading a book. It sounds like to me, your approach would be to have some intention about what I'm trying to achieve and how I'm going to approach getting the information and accessing wisdom out of that information. Like what, how, how does that work? Like how do, how do I become more intentional about the information that I'm actually engaged with? Yeah, it's a great question. So on the subject of intention, I started to think about this a couple of years ago because I would meet people at conferences or through social media and I'd say, hey, tell me what you're reading. And they would tell me and then I would say, why? And they're like, what do you mean why? I'm like, why are you reading the books that you're reading? So I've developed a, a framework for myself that includes building a smart goal for each book that I read. And you could do this with the podcast that you listen to as well. So let's say I'm going to read Alex Hormozzi's new book, $100 Million Leads. It's all about lead generation for service-based businesses. Instead of just reading that book and hoping that it's going to change my life, from the very start, I'm going to set a smart goal, an intention for the book, something that is specific measurable, attainable, meaning realistic, relevant, meaning I'm emotionally connected to its outcome, and time-bound. So my goal for $100 million leads is find and implement at least two lead generation strategies for my business by the end of September. That way, I'm primed to take action on the information that I'm consuming. And if I write that intention on the inside cover of the book, or maybe in the notes section of my phone for an audiobook or something like that, and I reread it each time I jump in and consume a little bit more of the book, I'm far more likely to highlight those actions with the reticular activating system in my brain. I'm literally filtering for what actions can I take on this book. And by taking action, that's where all of the magic happens. There's a great Napoleon Hill quote that says, action is the real measure of intelligence. So again, we have to give ourselves enough intention. We have to connect ourselves to an outcome that's measurable and time-bound in order to take the best action. So that's one of my tips in the book, Rise of the Reader, but it's one of the things that I think we can apply to the conferences we go to and the podcasts that we listen to. In terms of books, like, you know, there's a million books out there. Like, how would you say someone should prioritize what they read? Like, I've got notes of notes and notes and notes of books that I want to read. And and for me personally, it's interesting, like we're having this conversation because my wife bought a Kindle for me the other day for my birthday, right? Because she was like, you, it's kind of that in between when you can't read a book, but you don't want to be on audio. For me, unfortunately, when I get to bed, 
I can read maybe 20 or 30 minutes and I'm out. Like, so it takes me forever to get through a book. And during the day, I usually am not chilled enough to read. I'm just on go. And so I consume more audio. Uh, and again, I, that's, you know, something that I, I, I wish wasn't the case. I, I want to be engaged more with a physical book, but just it's, it is what it is. So I've got limited time. And so like prioritizing what I read is like really challenging. How would you say people should prioritize what they read? So I think when somebody is first starting out, which you're not first starting out, but in case anybody is in the audience today, I think it's important to read as much as possible. We read about a wide variety of subjects, cast a wide net, see what authors you resonate with, what subjects you resonate with, and get a good understanding of the whole kind of universe of personal development. But as you grow and you become more intentional, I think reading becomes about really two things. One is solving problems, like removing pain, and the other is developing skills. Those are kind of the two things that I think about the most. And so what I like to do is sit back and think about, is there a problem that I'm dealing with personally or professionally on a regular basis, monthly, weekly, daily? And could I remove that problem by reading about somebody else's experience with it and how they overcame that problem? Because these books literally condense decades of somebody else's lived experience into days of reading. There's no better ROI than that, right? A couple hours of your time, maybe 20 bucks or less, and you can solve a problem. I've heard Jordan Peterson say it this way. If you experience something painful on a daily basis, over the next 30 years, you're going to experience that 11,000 times. So why not spend a few dollars and a few hours of your time learning how someone else overcame that problem so that you can overcome it and not have to experience it 11,000 more times? Or it's skill development. That's kind of the other bucket. So who would you like to be by the end of the year? Who would you like to be in five years and what is the difference between that person and how they behave and how you are behaving today? Do you need to become better at sales, communication, lead generation? You know, do you need to become better at understanding nutrition or fitness or recovery? Like, what is that for you? And is there a good book that can solve that problem? So that's kind of how I think about it. Right. That is spot on, Nick. Look, I, um, it's something I realized as I got older because I wasn't academic as a kid as well. Like I could barely sit still. Um, but as I got older and particularly now, like I, you know, I really understand why, particularly like in certain cultures, I, I'm Indian and, you know, Indians is a, uh, is a culture really respect books. Like you can't even put your feet on books, right? Like there, there's a deep sense of import on education in books. And as I become older, I really understand how, one can actually, I'm not saying that having a teacher isn't important or a peer group, that's really important. But I mean, in isolation, you can hack so much of the development process by just reading information and consuming that and then turning that into knowledge. Because to your point, you can convert someone's whole trials and tribulations into one hour and I mean, that is gold, but I think that's something that we only appreciate as we start to get older. I mean, some of people have that, they're fortunate, right? They've been reared this, a certain way. They've got the certain composition that they, they have that wisdom young to really understand how impactful and important reading could be. But for some of us, 
that wasn't the case. And it's interesting is I've gotten older and I take my kids every day. My son is, uh, he's six. Every day I pick him up from school. We go to the library and we go to the library. We study. So he has extra work. We play chess and we just sit there. And the reason I do that is because I want him to start to normalize sitting in a library. Like I want him to think and know that that's normal after school to go to a library and not come home and watch TV. Yeah, I love that. And and something that you mentioned too, like we can, we can go even deeper on it. Yeah. When you think of a book like Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson, a, a wonderful biography, Apple is a trillion dollar company. And so when you read that book, you're literally consuming trillions of dollars of business lessons. You know, or let's say, you know, that same book, Steve Jobs lived until what is 60s or something like that. So you're literally condensing 60 years of somebody else's lived experience into a few hours of time. Again, you can't beat that. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, just because you said you end up reading a lot at night, but then it's you, you're kind of tired, so you fall asleep. This is tough uh, for a lot of people, but I love to read when my energy is the highest. So I, I exercise first thing in the morning after going after walking my dog, I go to the gym, I exercise, I'm full of exercise endorphins, I go home, I have my first cup of coffee, so I get the cognitive enhancer, and then I sit down and read. And it would be impossible for me to fall asleep post-gym, post-caffeine hit, because I'm wired, like I'm ready to go. And because reading means so much to me, that's kind of where I've inserted it for mo- for the most part into my day. Um, try to match it up where where my energy is the highest. Yeah, that's a really good point, man. Like I I was talking to Mark Devine, right? Like I I was on his podcast and he was giving me some advice on meditation, right? Because uh, with the kids and and everything, like things have become challenging. And he had said to me, like, look, you should start meditating after you exercise. Um, because we were talking about like my anxiety levels. I'm I'm a very like I'm just revved, right? And and I when when after I exercise, I tend to that's when I'll sit still and do some meditation. I'll do some journaling. And I think to your point, like if I start if I reframe the reading exercise from like needing to read a lot to just like a powerful 20, 30 minutes of consuming in actually implementing what I'm reading more intention that could be really good right but it's a reframe it's not sitting there just reading right it's about okay well 20 30 minutes of impactful reading I guess is what you're what you're saying right yeah because think about it like this in 30 minutes maybe it's uh, maybe for somebody in the audience today who's just starting out their reading journey like at the very least you'll probably read 20 pages so 30 minutes five days a week 20 pages five days a week that's 100 pages a week most of these books nowadays, they're only 200 pages. So that's a book every two weeks. That's 26 books over the next 12 months simply by reading for 30 minutes intentionally every day, every weekday. And so, yeah, just like you're saying, I, it's, you know, when I first started, I was optimizing for the number of books I read. It was this dumb vanity metric of like, how many books can I read in a year? And then I started to realize that that's not what I'm optimizing for. What I'm actually optimizing for is, the impact that these books can create. They can solve problems. They can develop skills. And that's what I focus on now. Mm. Do you think the art of 
reading or the act of reading and you probably know this from a metrics perspective as a marketer, but like, is it going forward or backwards? Like, where are we at in, in, in terms of just society and reading? That's a great question. I, I wish I had some better data here, but I will say that I think reading is the most underutilized skill set that we all have available to us today. I really do. For a couple of reasons. Reading is a, reading a physical paper book is a form of monotasking. It's focusing on one activity and blocking everything else out. If you're listening to an audiobook, again, there are some great benefits to doing that, but you're multitasking. You're at the gym, you're doing chores, you're driving a car, you're having a conversation. But reading a physical paper book is a form of monotasking. And if you can focus on that book for an extended period of time and get into a flow state, as, deep, as Cal Newport would put it, deep work, that skill set of being able to focus is transferable to other areas of your life. And so I kind of joke around with people and say that like, if I ever had to go back to a traditional nine to five and get my own job and I was on the interview circuit, people ask me, what are your biggest strengths? I can sit down and focus for hours without feeling the need to scroll on social media. And unfortunately today, that is a differentiating skill set because so many people are just obsessed with their devices and they just they can't help but like pick up their phone every two seconds and task switch between things. It's interesting as a marketer you say that, and let's jump into that because I, you know, like you, I, I have a show and I do all kinds of shit, right? Like on social media or whatever, but I produce, like I don't consume. So a lot of people will think I'm on digital a lot. I'm actually not. Like I go in there. Uh, with my adult brain on and try to get out as quickly as possible, right? Like I don't necessarily sit in social media land for a long time because I'm a, an addictive personality. I, I, I delete apps as soon as I post stuff. So like on my phone, there's no Facebook, LinkedIn or Insta because I know what the risk is. So I just delete it. And I think there's a difference between producing content and kind of consuming it. And I'm not saying it's bad to consume it, but like, again, like, what's your view on that as a marketer? Like, do you feel like we, like the digital space as well, like there's so much information out there where we can hack the process of learning, but how do we do that without getting consumed in the shit? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, listen, I, I do know what you mean. I, I'll say two things. Number one, yeah. I'm not on these platforms. So my team is on these platforms. I, just like you, I get sucked into it. I get distracted. So for the most part, I'm not leveraging any social media. I do jump on Instagram from time to time, you know, normally a couple times per day. But like <laughs> my team posts for me, we do bulk content creation way in advance. It all gets distributed by people on my team. All the comments and everything, the DMs managed by people on my team. I will say though, so my, my business book thinkers, we help authors promote and market their books behind the scenes, but also through our own community. And one of the things that I've realized is I do want to fight the good fight. I do want to help people create positive, constructive social media content. So if you choose just to follow all of the authors that we work with, your newsfeed would be nothing but positive, constructive, useful, actionable, helpful tips to improve your health, your wealth, your happiness, your relationships. Because you're right, so much of it is negative, it's divisive, it sucks your energy away, it creates feelings of anxiety or anger, and that's terrible. So yeah, I'm, I see the importance of these platforms from a marketing perspective, 
but you do have to exercise some re- some restraint. Otherwise, they could be all-consuming. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. So, question. With the books, what's your view on fiction? I think fiction is great. I don't think it's as useful as nonfiction, so I don't really read much of it right now. But then again, I'm I'm in my late 20s. I'm building a business. Uh, I think it's more important for me to read nonfiction right now. Fiction is the only place where the impossible becomes possible with the stroke of a pen. And I do respect that a lot. A lot of forms of fiction, though, they become a form of escapism, which I don't appreciate. You know, people just like they escape into Netflix or, you know, scrolling on social media all day long, they escape into a fantasy series and they distract themselves from the real world. And that could, like I said, it could become a form of escapism. There are some benefits, though, if you read a physical paper fiction book. Again, you're practicing monotasking. You're improving your vocabulary. You are cultivating more creativity, per se. But not not for me at this stage in my life. What about you? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I I was told that, like, and this is with the goal of trying to go to sleep. Yeah, I like to read fiction before sleep versus kind of this, you know, nonfiction where you're kind of need to to your point like if you're reading nonfiction to be engaged and to convert information to wisdom then you probably don't want to do it before you sleep right because right. you're at your lowest peak so that kind of aligns with what you're saying so i read i have read fiction um i tend to read fiction though that is aligned or offers some learning so the last book that i read was like it took me like 18 months because it was musashi and it was like a, a japanese epic right? Like five books condensed into one. And it was about a young uh, Japanese dude in pre-industrialized Japan who goes on this journey of becoming Japan's best swordsman. But it's it's in many ways, it was about refining himself. And there's a lot of lessons in that book, right? So like, again, it was it was read and I read it with the intention of taking out some gems. Like I love Japanese culture, particularly the samurai, samurai era, and I read books and quite a lot of books from that era. But again, I don't read it with the intention of kind of escaping, which is, I, I you know, there's more of an element of understanding the way of the samurai, right? Which for me is cool, you know, yeah. like, and I, and I like it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I read, I read some books like Siddhartha by Herman Hesse or the Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. I think there are a lot of great spiritual, personal development style fiction stories, like the ones that I just mentioned, that do teach nonfiction kind of real life lessons. And so, yeah, it's a it's a great place to consume that kind of info. Yeah, yeah. There's sometimes I, I suppose through creating a fictional um, platform, you can you can teach lessons. Through it, like Robin Sharma, I think uh, the book "The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari," right? Like it's there were a lot of less, yeah, it was a lot of lessons in there, right? But it was kind of a parable, effectively, wasn't it? It was, it was, and in that sense, I guess you're, you're getting gold and wisdom out of it in a in a way that I suppose is entertaining. You get people like Goggins; their story is almost like reading fiction, right? It's that good, <laughs> and there's that many gems in it you know, that you, you get you get quite a lot of wisdom. So I want to flip the script in terms of people that are, are looking to write or to become authors, right? Like today, there's a lot of self-help books 
out there. And, you know, I've, I've even talked to, to all, um, publishers here in Australia because I've got a crazy story. And, you know, a lot of them that I've been talking to are more business publishers. And they're like, look, you know, personal stories and, and uh, stories with your own journey weaved into it. They're exceptionally difficult to sell. And, you know, they're trying to get me to focus more on my business element and then weaving elements of my story into what my expertise is. Like, how does someone know when they're ready and they should write a book and that it would actually scale like there's something there yeah that's uh that's the golden question rj uh i'll tell you why i decided to write my book as i built my book thinkers community which has about 150,000 on instagram and another 50,000 on the other platforms I've literally received, I say I, but we have literally received thousands of very similar questions, all the same questions that we've talked about today. When is the right time of day to read? What types of books should I be reading? How do I choose the right book? How do I take notes? Are audiobooks better than physical books or not? How do I implement my notes? What are some ways to take action? Right, and every single time I got one of those questions, I'd answer people or we'd answer people We'd send him voice notes, jump on a quick Zoom call. But I always felt like I was underserving that person because I knew there was more to the equation than I could just like answer over a quick one minute note or something like that. So I looked for a resource. Like, does somebody teach you how to navigate the world of personal development books? Is there a resource out there for that? And I couldn't find one. So eventually I just realized like, I've got to be the one to write this book. So I think it goes to your question, like, should everybody write a book? If you have something valuable to say and somebody else hasn't already said it, like you have something unique that isn't packaged the way that you want to put it out there, and you can experience a demand for that information today, like I did with my book, then I think absolutely. And I dealt with a little bit of imposter syndrome because I'm still in my 20s. Like, am I old enough, successful enough to write a book? But I realized that my process for implementing information today is wildly different and much more efficient than it was 10 years ago when I started reading. And so, yeah, I have something to offer that person. You only need to be one or two steps ahead of them to provide a lending, you know, to kind of like lend a hand. And so those are a few of the things that I think about. With your story, what is different about it and what can you highlight? Like, what are people asking you about and you have the only solution for? that? That's what I would really try to think about because you're right. Like, a personal story, if people don't know you, they don't want to read it. Unless you get the hype of somebody like David Goggins, which that's literally one in 50 million books takes off like that. It's It's so tough. I mean, he did a great job with it, obviously. But it sounds like you and David have a lot of similar overlap in terms of, like, your physical capabilities and stuff, so... Maybe uh, maybe that's the secret. Yeah, no, I um, I I this is something that's in in play, and I know that I you know I'm I'm a member of some really solid communities. I'm a, a member of a, a community of uh, academics and uh, executives at the peak of their uh, their their space and category. And and there's a lot of authors, a lot of HBR contributors. You know, I'm a Forbes contributor, a lot of Inc. Uh, like fast so we've got a really solid community and and to your earlier point like that's important right like being part of a community that helps you navigate these questions and and uh and peers that have done it before that set that illustrative example 
for for you and I take my hat off to you as well Nick at such a young age to have that level of intention that 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 kind of passion to not only become better yourself but then to pass that information on to others at such a young age is is admirable and I really really um yeah I think that's really cool how you're so switched on so young because a lot of people aren't uh they're just not they're they're again they're consuming a lot of information and shit information uh, whereas you're very intentional, and that's really, really good to see, man. Yeah, thank you. I, although I am 29 years old, I say if you include all the books behind me, I'm thousands of years old, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're a relic. Yes, I'm a relic, exactly. And, um, you know, on the action piece, I'll, I'll just mention a couple of things, because we've touched on it, but I didn't really give many actionable examples. So just two quick things. In my book, Rise of the Reader, I detail an activity tracker that I built out with my friends over the last couple of years that can measure essentially everything in your life. And although it sounds like the quantified lifestyle is a little bit intense for some people, it's created a life of freedom for me. I spend a little bit more time being intentional about what I work on on a daily basis. And when I read a good book, I can plug something into my activity tracker and I can measure my activity throughout the weeks to see if it's had an impact. I detail how to build that in the book, and it has been incredible for my life. The other thing is I don't think that personal development is a solo sport. Although the reflection and the silence that we talked about is important, if we are the average of the five people that we spend the most time with, why not get all of your friends and your family involved like you do at the library with your son in bettering yourself? And so I have a whole chapter in the book about building an accountability group how often it should meet, what types of people should be in there, how do you invite them, what do you cover, what questions do you ask each other? Because when I read a book and I tell my accountability partners, this is what I'm implementing by the end of next week. If I show up to that meeting without having implemented it, I'm going to get my butt kicked and I don't want that to happen. So I think accountability is a really important piece of taking action as well. Yeah, it's a good point. And I mean, life requires sparring partners like you need the agoji, right? Like is, you know, the, the Spartans used to refer to it like, and I'm talking about the kind of more from a philosophical perspective, like you need to be in an environment of people on the same path where you can spar, you can develop or else again, without that, it's very hard to implement. It, it just again becomes more information. And I think we are in the information age to the extent like there is so much out there that people do run the risk of just consuming for consuming sake and a lot of the times to be honest with you Nick like I'm at the point where I realize that personally for me a lot of the self-help books are just repackaging the same principles the same truths which is great because it means that you know this horse is for courses certain messages appeal to different people but I realized a long time ago that I don't necessarily need a lot more information. And that's why I'm very intentional when I read a book. I'm reading a book in an area that I'm trying to evolve in or a weakness that I'm trying to soften. And for me, if I can get like one thing out of that book, and because I'm time poor, that's why I'm very selective of what I'm actually reading because I, I it's got to be in an area where I need that. I need to understand more in that space. Yeah, no, I, I love that. these books can become a form of avoidance, right? They can become a form of procrastination. 
I talk I talk in my book a little bit about some of the downsides of the self-help industry and how to navigate and overcome them. I do think a lot of these books are engineered to create a vision, you know, to create a feeling of of success and completion without actually having to, to, to implement them, right? So think about like the world of dating. If you read a book about pickup lines and about how to approach somebody at the bar and you visualize this whole experience and then you fail to take action and you never actually ask anybody out on a date. So that feeling of rejection causes you to read more books and then you just you just read more and more and more and more and you join these accountability groups, but you don't ever do anything with it. Or people read books about starting a business and they don't start a business. They read books about changing their diet and they don't they don't ever change their diet. It's like reading the book is not the goal. Implementing the book is the goal. Yeah, and you know what to that to that point, you know, that that's my issue as well. And I think the the kind of the banging on the, the chest and, and beating the drum guru is 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 maybe a thing of the 80s like it, it it's things of changing but like i think for me i'm very wary of anyone in the self-help space that makes themselves the source because what that means is that that individual is using their energy to elevate others people become dependent on that energy and that elevation versus having a more subtle approach in and 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 enabling others to 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 access information and implement it and become kind of self generating if that makes sense and i think they're different i i think yes you can have a big personality as a self-help person and you can bring the right energy the question is are you basically giving people a hit making people feel temporarily better and making them dependent on you versus transferring information skillfully, which enables that person to then implement in their own lives. And I think those are two different things. Yeah, I think so too. And I I hadn't even really thought about it like that before, but yeah, my goal is not to be this, not that you were implying this, but it, it reinforces what I'm trying to do. My goal is not to be the source my goal is to enable everybody that reads my book to implement and build their own systems so they can get more out of the books they read. Yeah, and so talking about what you read, like what are areas that you're interested in now? Like how do you prioritize what you're up to, man, with your your reading? Yeah, that's a great question. There's really two buckets there. <laughs> Number one, with the nature of my business, I do a lot of paid book reviews. And so I'm reading a lot of books based on the clients that we're working with and, and that kind of stuff. But in my free time, I'm very interested in a couple of things right now. One is productivity, time management, time optimization, asking the right questions, getting clarity on the work I do, outsourcing things that drain my energy, doing more of what brings me energy. So I'm very focused in that space right now. And then I also love biohacking. Uh, I love health, nutrition, longevity, things like that. So those are sort of the two buckets that I probably spend the most of my time reading. Yeah, I read a book which you probably read, Essentialism. It was one of my favorite books. Just such a it it was short, so it was you know he did well being being keeping to the essentials. But uh, man, that book was amazing in terms of just prioritization, uh, alignment of 
like what you really value and then everything else. And I think that yeah, productivity, you know, it's, it's huge, particularly again, in an age where we're, we're over communicated to, and, you know, and we're communicating all the time. So, uh, we are going to start to land the plane. I got my kids out there crying and yelling and stuff. It's, <laughs> we're ready to go rock and roll into the day, but I do want to ask you um, a, f- a couple more questions. One, what are some simple habits people can engage in to start to improve their reading? That's the first question. Yeah, I think consistency matters a lot. I think you need to find, even if you read one page a day, it's the act of taking the book out, picking it up, open it, you know, reviewing your intention for the book and reading one more page. And you'll start to build momentum. Like I said if earlier today, if you're connected to an outcome, like this book solves a problem or develops a skill, you'll be emotionally connected to the book and you will take action and you'll start to really love this world of personal development books. I think another thing that people should uh, engage in as far as a habit is writing down their favorite takeaways from each book that they read. Because again, rewriting a takeaway is a form of repetition and repetition leads to retention. If you want to cement that neural pathway and can, you know, and basically connect to that information so that you can leverage it in your day-to-day life, I think you've got to repeat that information as often as possible. And then rewrite your biggest takeaways into an online notebook so that you can review them systematically over time. Um, and I'll, I'll mention one that's probably not talked about very much, but this is something that I love to do. I call it book sex. <laughs> and so I like to take takeaways from two random books and I like to merge them together and create a book baby if I want to continue the metaphor. And I like to journal about how maybe you connect a book on intermittent fasting with a book on management and leadership, right? So book sex is something that I try to do as often as I can as well. Make connecting the dots is a competitive advantage, right? Really being able to see data points in, 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 in different worlds and bringing that together is such a competitive advantage. The thing about it is we need time and space to do that. And so we can't always just be moving, moving, thinking, 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 you know what I mean? And I think that's really good. The book babies. I really, really, really like that one, man. Yeah, and you mentioned Essentialism by Greg McEwen. Uh, We've had Greg on the podcast a couple of times. I read Essentialism, and then he has another book called Effortless. And Greg says there is a point of diminishing returns where more work actually leads to less productivity, less results. And it's hard to conceptualize until you go through that book, but you realize that not every activity is created equal. Some are highly leveraged. Some are lowly leveraged. Some have bring you energy, some take your energy. So it's like, if you can automate, delegate, outsource, eliminate all the stuff that doesn't have a lot of leverage and it drains your energy, like kick that stuff to the curb, give it to somebody else. And then that buys you a little bit more time. Yeah, no, that's excellent. So Nick, where can our audience learn more about you, man? Like where can they find you? Yeah, one of my favorite things to do, RJ, is provide custom book recommendations. I like to play this like book matchmaker role. So if somebody wants to DM us uh, at BookThinkers on Instagram, my team always sends me when somebody is looking for a book recommendation. I might go back and forth uh, with that person, but DM me. Tell me about a problem you have. Tell me about a skill set that you want to develop, and I'll respond with a book recommendation, like I said, and even hold you accountable to reading it. 
Uh, so at Book Thinkers on Instagram, it's spelled just like it sounds. RJ, I'll send you some links that you can throw in the description. And uh, from there, there's links in the bio to this book, Rise of the Reader, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Well, Nick, thanks for coming on the show, man. Excellent, excellent having you on here. Really enjoyed the conversation and the topic, bro. Yeah, appreciate you. Grateful for you. Thank you for the opportunity. Hey, folks, thanks for joining me on this episode. With all the options out there, I am super grateful that you spent time with me. I hope that you've received value from this conversation. And if you have, I've achieved my goal. Your support is really appreciated. If you really, really like the show or you want me to know how we can make it better, please do leave a review letting me know and the world know your thoughts, yeah? If you want to know more about Ultra Habits and what we're doing, go to www.ugventures.co. Sign up for the quiz. You'll get some really good insights into the archetype in terms of your habits and how you can improve your habits in your business and in your life. You'll also get a weekly newsletter with some blogs, episode updates. I promise you we do not spam. I absolutely hate spam, and I think it's super unprofessional. It's all about value. So anyways, folks, until the next episode, have a great week. Take care.